Welcome to the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, the podcast that travels back into time to review classic episodes of Jim Crockett Promotions Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling as it appears on the NBC Universal streaming service Peacock, as well as internationally on the WWE Network. My name is Mike Sempervivi, and I'm being joined by Roman Gomez. And if you're out there listening and you want to follow along with us but don't have access to Peacock or the network, you can still do so by heading over to the themightymidatlanticgateway.com and checking out David Tobbs' reviews of these classic shows. The Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast has social media on several platforms, by far the most active on Twitter, but we do have a Facebook page, Instagram page, and more. Just search at Mid-Atlantic Pod and look for the logo. We're also available on YouTube as well, youtube.com slash midatlanticpod, where you can find podcasts and other content exclusive to the page. Please subscribe, watch, and like the videos. It would be doing us a great service. And finally, like everyone else on the planet, we also have a Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash midatlanticpodcast. Now with all that out of the way, today, in episode number 53, we take a look at the television that was taped on Wednesday, January 26, 1983, at the WPCQ Studios, Channel 36, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and began airing in local markets beginning that weekend of Saturday, January 29, 1983. Bring on my co-host Roman Gomez now. Roman, how are you today, my friend? I am doing good. It is amazing to be in a room with air conditioning. After working all week with no air conditioning, it was just brutal. But hey, you got to do what you got to do to put tacos on the table. That is absolutely the case. And if if you've heard the news as we record this show in June of 2022, Taco Bell right now in their test kitchen working on some sort of monster creation, some sort of gordita, some sort of burrito that's actually got an oversized Cheez-It as the base of it. I myself am excited by this news. You are amazing, Mike. We did not talk about this before we went on the air. You've got a quick, witty response for everything I have to say. You're amazing. I don't know how Taco Bell is for a transition. I really don't have any other really good bridge to get this back over to the show. But if somebody was being wacky and thinking about a bunch of crazy ideas, I could see something wacky with a burrito coming from the mind of the boogie-woogie man Jimmy Valiant in 1983. He seems like he could come up with some amazingly weird recipes in the kitchen if left up to his own devices. Who knows what Jimmy Valiant could have cooked up. And he's actually the start of the show this week, Roman, and a very unique way to start the show because we start off with a match in progress, but it happens to be from what I believe would be November 6th in Greensboro where he defeated Joe LaDuke a face that we have not seen for quite some time. Well, on on my notes, Mike, I've got that it was from Charlotte Coliseum, for whatever that's worth. It could have been. Now, they last wrestled in Charlotte on October 17th, with with Jimmy Valiant getting the victory. And as we sit here towards the end of January of 1983, they're pulling one back into time here to show us Valiant and LaDuke, which is... It's kind of interesting because, you know, when we saw that video of Jimmy Valiant a couple of weeks ago that had a lot of the Memphis footage in it, it was updated 
with a more recent Jimmy Valiant, Joe LaDuke match from the Mid-Atlantic area. So it seems to be that they're dropping some hints that Joe LaDuke might be back in town working with the House of Humperdinck. At least that's how I'm taking it. Yeah, and I thought it was kind of weird to join the match in progress. Now, they've done that in the past, but normally it's against enhancement talent. But two main event caliber wrestlers like Valiant and LaDuke to start that off joined in progress with no buildup to it or anything, they just started it. I thought that was kind of kind of a different way of doing things. Yeah, especially because usually when they show a match like that from an arena with two names, Bob would talk about it at the beginning. They would show some of what happened, and then they would show the rest of it later on. Here, they started off at the end with Valiant in, in command and then ultimately getting the victory over LaDuke. So that's certainly something that we're going to have to keep an eye on. Obviously, Jimmy Valiant has been still been feuding with the House of Humperdinck. First, it was Ivan Koloff. Then it went to Joe LaDuke. Then it went to Leroy Brown. As we sit here right now, uh, and there are plenty of people that want to go after Jimmy Valiant, but his main competition is the one-man gang. So Jimmy Valiant against the House of Humperdinck, it would predate he and and Paul Jones's army. So everybody, if you were a manager in Mid-Atlantic, you wanted to crack at the Boogie Woogie Man. Mike, I just wanted to add one thing. For those of you that are watching along on the Peacock Network on this episode, pay attention to the fan in the green shirt. He goes absolutely ballistic over LaDuke's tactics, and it's kind of comical to watch it. So for those of you that are actually watching the episodes as well, watch the fan in the green shirt. Trust me, you'll know who he is. He stands out like a sore thumb. Right in the middle of the screen. Right in the middle of the screen. The police go to him a couple times. Ultimately, a big security guy comes down and jacks him up from behind and drags him away from the ring. This man is furious. This man believes. This man, money well spent for him. He got all of the emotions out that night as Jimmy Valley defeated Joe LaDuke. And from there, we go to a match joined in progress. It's Sweet Brown Sugar and Dizzy Hogan, which looks to be a new tag team in the area, a new mid-card tag team, taking on Ken Timms and Rick Harris. And this match went 2 minutes and 52 seconds. At least that's what we saw of it. The end came when Sweet Brown Sugar whipped Timms off the ropes into a big power slam by Dizzy Hogan. So, Roman... That's it there. They're definitely using Sweet Brown Sugar now that he is out of his feud with Dory Funk Jr. to try to bring along Dizzy Hogan the best way that he can and do uh, a majority of the heavy lifting in the ring as Dizzy Hogan does a majority of his heavy lifting in the gym. Yeah, and uh, this is the first time, at least the first time it was acknowledged that those two had teamed together, and they made short work of Rick Harris and Ken Tams, and it was Probably a good thing that it was a short match because, you know, let's let's face it, Dizzy Hogan is not exactly a uh, scientific wrestler's dream to watch or anything. So it was a good thing that they put him with Sweet Brown Sugar, like you said, to do the heavy lifting. Now it's at this point in the show where we get a match between Greg Valentine and Mike Davis. And Dick Slater joined Bob Cottle on, on commentary. And boy, did he have words for guys like Jimmy Valiant and, of course, Roddy Piper. He was also there to, to cheerlead Greg Valentine along. And I, I got to say, at this point in the show, from here on a little bit, it looks like it is going to be a day of rampage for the bad guys. Even though Sir Oliver Humperdinck is not here, it looks like Greg Valentine and Dick Slater are going to rule the roost 
and Mike Davis, unfortunately, is the early victim to that. Match goes four minutes and seven seconds. Ultimately, he falls to a belly-to-back suplex and two big elbow drops from Greg the Hammer Valentine. And I will play a little of the commentary of Dick Slater during this match and some of the banter he had with Bob Cottle. I'll fade it out, and then we'll get the end of the match where finally Greg Valentine shows some mercy and actually pins Mike Davis. So here's some of that. Dick, also in the last couple of weeks, the fans who have been watching Mid-Atlantic Wrestling, one week they... Let me ask, let me ask you this. You don't see Piper coming out here uh, I was now ask you about Piper. Yeah. You don't see Piper coming out here now and trying to start any trouble, do you? No. no, that's right, because me and Valentine are out here. Piper don't have any guts. I know it. Valentine knows it. You know it. These people out here know it. A lot of things are happening around this place anyway. I just seen Boogie Boogie Woogie come out here, brag his mouth about he is ruling the house of Hubbard. Right. Well, so what? So what? The one-man gang don't feel like the, he's ruined. He's still got to go through the one-man gang, the $5,000. Wait a minute, hold on. Oh, you you see him slip out of right the ring there? The road. Road. No, no, he All right, and <laughs> Slater took his hits and said he was going to go help him. There was no way he slipped as he was throwing it. Slater now just picks him up and throws him back into the ring to a waiting Valentine. Ooh, I can't stand the man that runs out of the ring like that. He, That's absolutely ridiculous. He, he called himself an athlete. Out of the ring. He, he sure did. He slipped right, right out of there. Didn't you see that? That's it, Valentine. Drops him down across the top rope, right down across the throat in the windpipe. The man is vicious. The man is vicious. Valentine is vicious. Like I said, he's almost vicious as I am. I used to have a dog. I used to have a dog. I liked very well, and one day that dog bit me, and you know what happened to that dog? What the dog died. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Valentine's a much smarter wrestler this season. Oh, again, into the, well, into the air and down across the road. Uh, get a good shot on his face there. Get a good shot on his face. He was high in the air, right down across the rope again, and Valentine uh, suplex, suplex him hard down to the mat. I Watch guarantee out. he's seeing stars right now. The big elbow right on him. Bionic Bionic, do you see any wires hanging out of his arm? That is a true athlete right there. He's the only man that has a bionic one, elbow is that Dusty Rhodes. That's the only man that thinks he's got a bionic elbow. And I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm going to handle, I am going to handle the one-man gang's financial affairs from here on out. Well, all right, man. If you didn't know any better, you'd say, hey, was that Terry Funk? Nope, that was Dirty Dick Slater <laughs> doing his best Terry Funk impression. You heard Dirty Dick out there trying to help Greg the Hammer Valentine, helping Mike Davis back into the ring after he was thrown outside. Just a long day for Mike Davis getting his rear end kicked by by Valentine and Slater Roman. But uh, as we heard, the end, a hot shot, actually, uh, when Slater was saying, look at his face, look at him. Valentine delivered a hot shot, dropping Davis neck first over the ropes. He was sitting there. Just completely gassed out before he got the belly-to-belly and the two elbow drops. Dropped him, and that is it. You also heard Dick Slater talk about the one-man gang's money, talking about being in charge of his financial affairs on the day. So it looks like it is going to be a day of Dick Slater and Greg Valentine. Yeah, there was a lot going on in just a short period of time, you know, and Slater was pretty funny on the on the commentary. You know, I love when Valentine throws him out the ring and then 
Slater immediately says, I hate when a guy runs out the ring like that. You know, I, I pop for that. And then when he talked about the dog biting him and dying, reminds me of when Jake's Cobra bit Randy Savage and the Cobra legitimately died. You know, depending on who you listen to, I've heard within seven days, within 11 days, but somebody had mentioned that's how tough Randy Savage was that a Cobra bit him and the Cobra died, you know, but yeah, uh, Slater was just on fire here all kinds of intensity and everything. And uh, yeah, he's the new financial uh, consultant or whatever you want to call it. He's handling the one man gang's money from now on, from here on out. It was then time for our local spots. And in lieu of that, what we get on the WWE network is about two minutes and, and 28 seconds of Dizzy Hogan talking to Bob Cottle and uncle Bob coaching him along. I will save everybody from that. It wasn't awful or anything, but certainly. Nothing special, just Bob basically coaching him through an interview. And then it was time for the $5,000 slam dunk challenge. Dick Slater standing in for Sir Oliver Humperdinck as the one-man gang stands in the ring alongside King Parsons and Vinnie Valentino. King Parsons back out there. Vinnie Valentino, I believe this is his first crack to go after the five grand and the try to body slam the one-man gang. They both attempt it one-on-one. They both fail miserably, as Dick Slater barks about. And then they both try together, which draws the ire of the one-man gang. From there, things get a little bit wacky, as you will hear right now. All right, fans, and we're here now with our slam contest, and Dick Slater, who says... $5,000, 5000 big dollars in cold, cold cash. I want to see these men slam this man right here. It's impossible. 480 pounds, at least 400, or over 400 pounds of man, of man, right there. Mean man. All right, Dick, and if they can pick him up and slam him, the $5,000 right, is That's there. right, that's the $5,000 in, but I don't think that's going to happen to you. Uh, How do you uh, think that's going to happen well, to you? They're two strong uh, men. We're talking about King Parsons and Vinny Valentino. Those are the two that are going to take him on. All right, which one is going to which is gonna have a go at him first here, Dick? Vinny Valentino now. You see that? You see Attempting that? to pick up the one-man gang and slam him. He didn't even get him off of the man. <laughs> $5,000. Boy, you better go home and do a little bit of practicing. Right, here's King Parsons. And again, now Parsons. Well, Parsons hasn't gotten him off of the map. And they're both going to pick him up. They're both going to do it. Don't let him go for that. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Now both of them, even both of them can't slap him. And here comes Jimmy Valiant into the studio. Valiant standing down, reaches up and grabs the money out of Dick Slater's hand. Here's Steve Brown Sugar and Dizzy Hogan. They're all in as Valiant has got the $5,000. He's got the money. Jimmy Valiant grabbed it right out of Slater's hand. Jimmy Valiant. Counting that money, hanging on, Slater's going wild. The one-man gang as they go to work now on Valentino and Parsons, they throw Parsons out. They're taking out their frustrations on Vinny Valentino and King Parsons, but Jimmy Valiant still with the money. And we'll be back. We'll have more. 
Well, how quickly the worm turns. I was thinking, man, Mike Davis got slaughtered. Doesn't look like Jimmy Valiant's there because they're showing a pre-tape of him. Greg Valentine is all full of himself. Dick Slater is running around being a maniac. Man, this is going to be a long day for the baby faces. But wouldn't you know it, as Dick Slater stood in the ring, chastising King Parsons and Vinny Valentino for trying to both pick up one-man gang at the same time, Jimmy Valiant comes dancing out of the back, steals the money out of Dick Slater's hands, dares them to come out of the ring, as Brickhouse Brown and Dizzy Hogan also come out of the back to help Valiant celebrate. Man, good times had by all. Except if you're King Parsons and Vinny Valentino, who had to pay for the sins of Jimmy Valiant and, and Sugar and Hogan, when they get their tails kicked and thrown all over the place and no one rushes to their aid, it's just a wall in front of Jimmy Valiant as he dances to the back. So Dick Slater taking over the financial affairs of the one-man gang. Uh, he's got some splaining to do once uh, Sir Oliver comes back into town. Yeah, it was kind of a, I don't know, mixed bag in this little segment here because I thought it was cool that they had both Iceman and Valentino combined at the same time to try to lift up one-man gang and couldn't slam them. I thought that was good, you know, to, to prove how hard it is to slam the one-man gang. But poor Parsons and Valentino being the sacrificial lamb as Jimmy Valiant comes out and steals the $5,000. Now, Valiant is a babyface. He steals $5,000 and then just stands there and, you know, and is happy and gloating as Parsons and Valentino take a butt-whooping because of what Valiant did. And I'm like, that's not a very babyface thing to do. Who knows? Maybe he took the $5,000 so he could buy a lifetime supply of boom boxes so the heels wouldn't destroy those down the road. I don't know, but... It just did not make Valiant come off as a, as a baby face to me, to steal money and then watch innocent wrestlers get beat up by the heels. Well, let's be honest. Uh, in that man's scientific repertoire, one of the great moves out of his toolbox was a big, oversized, cartoonish thumb to the throat. So maybe, maybe Roman, you have your expectations set a little bit too high when it comes to Handsome Jimmy. You know what I'm saying? Maybe. <laughs> hey, a, a, another baby face who sometimes doesn't act so much like a baby face, the American dream himself, Dusty Rhodes. And if you were feeling pretty good about Jimmy Valiant, getting one over on the heels, things got ratcheted up a little bit more because we got a promo sent up from Florida about the American Dreams Challenge for Dory Funk Jr.'s $100,000. Dusty Rose don't have to tell you about feuds, about fussing and feuding with the Funk family, because it's known nationwide. And it's known also nationwide that there is no man than Dusty Rose, the American Dream, the top power that is the boogie fever of the whole wrestling world. And now set out on this new venture, $100,000 to pin the shoulders of Dory Funk Jr. You know, I'm a polar plumber son, Lord knows. I need the money, you understand? 
$100,000 to Pendishola Dorfunk Jr., which I have done on numerous occasions. He is a great athlete that he is, great competitor. But I want him to remember one thing. I have pinned Daddy Funk, you know that. I have pinned Ted Funk before, you know that. I have pinned Dorfunk Jr., and if I had to, I'd either pin. I mean, it don't matter to me. $100,000 in my pocket, Jackson. I'll go ahead and pause that right there. A classic all-timer promo from Dusty Rhodes, one of those promos that has, over the years, become one of his most known, not as big as Hard Times or The View Never Changes, but it's up there. And a great line about pinning all the funks to the mat, including Mother Funk, that they were absolutely, positively... 100% not even going to come close to trying to squeeze through in the heavily Bible-belted area that Crockett Promotions ran. But a great line, a great interview from Dusty Rhodes, and great excitement for fans of Mid-Atlantic. Dusty Rhodes was recently in for a short period to face off against Leroy Brown. Now you're going to get him back in there to add some color to the great technician that is Dory Funk Jr. And Dusty Rhodes, the son of a plumber, you know, which I thought back then and even now that wouldn't really be a bad thing. You know, don't plumbers charge like 800 bucks an hour to turn the crescent wrench twice or something like that's not a bad thing to be the son of a plumber. Yeah, but remember with Dusty's daddy, at least uh, according to Gary Hart, he, he was a drunk. Remember that that, that was the whole uh-huh. deal with him being drunk and dying <laughs> in a ditch there, you know, so don't be a drunk plumber is, is maybe really the... Uh, Try to try to reach out for some help. There's plenty of help out there. If you're drunk and a plumber, or if you're just drunk, try to do something about that. And he talked about all his battles with the Funks. I wonder if he had any encounters with uh, Marty Funk, because I can vouch. She, she's kind of mean. <laughs> she's a real mother funker, right? That would be fair. <laughs> that, would, that would be fair. But, uh, well, Dory, of course, uh, was not going to let this go unchallenged as he was standing there next to Bob Cottle, suffering the indignity of listening to Dusty Rhodes run down his family. Here is his response. Uh, you heard Dusty Rhodes there, Doyle. Listen, I, and I hear everybody else here too. Everybody thinks Dusty Rhodes is real smart. Well, I don't, I don't think Dusty Rhodes is very smart, and I blame this on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. I came to this area, not to Florida, Dusty Rhodes' home. I came to this area and I left an open contract saying that I would wrestle any wrestler with $100,000 up. Now Dusty Rhodes has come in and put his name on a contract. That's a conspiracy between Dusty Rhodes and Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. And I'll tell you people one thing, I don't care. I'll beat Dusty Rhodes just like I beat everybody else around here. All right, Dory Funk. And there we hear from Dory Funk Jr. I decided to pause it right there to give everyone a moment and to explain... Uh, why you're going to hear men screaming in the background as Greg Valentine then jumps on the microphone with Bob Cottle. He is flanked by Dick Slater and the one-man gang who is very upset. But during this segment is intentionally hilarious, shouting over the head of Bob Cottle. To Bob's right is Greg Valentine. To his left is Dick Slater. And right over his head, screaming, just being a annoying nut 
It's the one-man gang doing his best in a way to try to break Bob Cottle, bumping him from the back. I'm sure having a field day with him, even if maybe he didn't even intentionally mean to do it. But as you watch Bob Cottle's face during this promo, it's it's fantastic. He had to have been doing it on purpose. But here is Greg Valentine, Dick Slater, and the one-man gang not only talking about Jimmy Valiant stealing his money, but also a new face that's coming into town to try to take Greg Valentine's United States title. All right, Greg Valentine right here, U.S. champion. Like I told you before, Bob Cottle. I intend on being the greatest United States heavyweight champion of all time. I'll wrestle anybody. I'll sign contracts on the dotted line against anybody. I don't care who they are. They've got a man coming in the area called the champ. Well, I'm the champ. I call him the chump. Now, Bob Orton Jr. was in the area. I ran him out. Wahoo McDaniel was in the area. I ran him out. And now Roddy Piper is still trying to build that crumbling Piper's palace of his. Brings in the chump. I mean the champ. Well, the champ is going to go out the same way Bob Orton Jr. went out. You know something? Somebody ought to get thrown in jail. There ought to be a law. There's a law in this country, my friend. There is a law in this country against people that steal, people that rob. And you have robbed this man right here. And I hate to see the consequences that you have to pay. Because if it comes right down to it, boogie, 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 you... Piper, the Briscoes, and especially that big old fat, overgrown, cut up looking, ridiculous, fat, ugly, slob, dusty Well, there we hear from the one man gang, Greg Valentine and Dory Funk Jr. It is very difficult for me to believe, Roman. In fact, I am 100% sure. Dick Slater had to have told One Man Gang to go out there and do that when he was talking and screaming over Bob because as soon as Valentine ends, he kicks it into gear and Bob, being a foot shorter and much smaller, just has to deal with this. Once again, Dick going into full Terry Funk mode, talking about Dusty Rhodes uh, as, as the clip ended, who's got nothing to do with any of his feuds <laughs> that are going on right now. A completely superfluous reference given by Dick Slater on Dusty there. But also earlier on, Greg Valentine talked about the champ. And he is a masked wrestler who comes into the area with a little bit of fanfare. That person would be Brian Blair, another familiar Florida face coming up to work in the mid-Atlantic area, Roman. So uh, <laughs> what'd you think about that whole group right there? Well, one thing I really liked with the Valentine segment, you know, I always liked when a heel would say that they ran somebody out of the area. You know, in this case, he mentioned that he ran Orton out of the area. He ran Morocco out of the area. And what I like about that is if Orton and Morocco, or no, I'm sorry, Orton and Wahoo, I'm, I don't know why I said Morocco, or if Orton and McDaniel are not in the area, they can't defend themselves. So that makes it even more of a jerk type move for Valentine to say that. So I always liked when a heel did that. And one man gang, I will give anybody out there a shiny new nickel if they can tell me what in the world he was trying to say. It was so incoherent and loud and obnoxious and, and just poor Bob Cottle. What, what a pro to, to put up with that. 
He is the most unflappable person in the history of wrestling. He really, really is. Even Lance, you could get Lance to break. There are things that, hey, you know, Hector and in, in, in the flower, there's, there's physical things that Lance got involved with that Bob just did not get involved with and just amazing nerves of steel out there, really. A couple examples you used in the past on one podcast, Mike, was you talked about Coddle being unflappable that, you know, New Jack would be spewing racist stuff and, you know, getting outrageous during his promos and Coddle just kept that poker face, you know, cool as a cucumber or woman's boobs, (laughs) your example, woman's boobs would be in his face or whatever. Like nothing rattled Coddle, you know. He was no. just so smooth and even keeled. <laughs> I think it was Jim, Jim Ross when it was uh, Bob Coddle there with Doom, and the monsters Ron Simmons and, and Butch Reed standing by him, and he just that is a white man in brown shoes. Just the hand in the <laughs> pocket, just the look, you know, the the Bob Coddle look on his face, just a a classic. Bob Coddle, love him. Still with us to this day as we record this broadcast and is going to live on in everybody's memories forever when it comes to Jim Crockett promotions in the, in the NWA. Speaking of the NWA, they are considering fining both Dick Slater and Roddy Piper for their two brawls all over the studio last week. We then see those brawls relived before we get a match between Dick Slater and Rick Benfield, one heel good deed deserves another. As Dick Slater was in the ring wrestling, Greg Valentine joined the commentary table when Rick Benfield was dumped from the ring, or as Greg Valentine said, escaped from the ring, much like Slater did, help the opponent back into the ring again. Benfield just got beaten to a pulp. Three minutes and 27 seconds of torture for this man ultimately ends with a submission to the Boston Crab, a complete disassembling by Dick Slater. Yeah, Slater was angry this episode, and it showed in this match, and he actually seemed to enjoy inflicting punishment. There was one point where he actually smiled. You know, he, he, uh, Thankfully for him, it was a short match, because, yeah, it was all Slater. Then it was time for our next Set of local spots, which, of course, we didn't see. But we did see Dizzy Hogan again alongside Sweet Brown Sugar, who carries that interview a a little bit more. Once again, nothing really missed in this, just further galvanizing the fact that they are a tag team. Then it's time for something that we will play, and that is the rowdy one, Roddy Piper, stepping up to join Bob for an interview and to speak his mind about the unpredictable Dick Slater. Fans with us right now, Roddy Piper. Roddy, a little earlier we were telling the fans, we went back and we looked at what happened last week, and the NWA is making a decision about that, but you and Slater, that was simply wild, Roddy. You both went wild, like madmen. What do you want me to do? You want me to stand out here and let some geek like Slater, some geek like Slater come up to my face and spit my face? Would you stand there in the street and let somebody come up there and kick you in the face, kick you in the shins and sit down and not do nothing about it? I'm supposed to come out here. I'm supposed to come out here and take stuff like this. And then when I'm supposed to quiver like a dog when the NWA is going to find me, find me. I don't care, man. You can find me what you want to. I don't care no more, man. You think I'm going to have Valentine coming around here? I have my face rubbed in. I'm the only guy they ever find any time. 
I'm the only guy they kick off TV. I'm the only guy they kick off radio. I'm the only guy they do nothing to. Well, I don't care. Slater, he thinks he's some kind of nut, right? He thinks he's some kind of wild man. I'll tell you what wild to him is. That's being a rodeo clown around some mechanical bull, man. You ain't nothing. Around here, when it comes to Roddy Piper, we take the nut very seriously, man. All right, fans, and talking about great ones, Ric Flair, the world champion. Let's hear from Ric Flair right here. For weight, for balance, for leverage. Yep, let that linger at the end there because you're not hearing from Ric Flair. You're hearing from Gordon Soley. And we'll get to him in a moment, Roman. But first, Roddy Piper. Great interview, unfortunately. Speaking to people, we don't get a chance to really... They won't really know unless they see it how animated Piper was, how much his flailing of the arms and getting in the face of Bob Cottle actually really enhanced that interview there. Fired up uh, about the NWA's possible ramifications for his actions in the brawl with Slater last week. And Piper, who's always maniacal and dangerous, and he's saying he doesn't care. And what's more dangerous than an individual that does not care about his repercussions? You know, he doesn't care if he gets fined. He's not going to be a goody two-shoes. He's going to do whatever he wants. And if he wants to extract revenge on Slater, that's exactly what he's going to do, no matter what the cost is. Look at the biggest stars in that era. And I guess really look at the biggest stars in any era in almost any field. What do they have? They have integrity in who they are. Even if they're cheaters, they have a code that they live by, and they're not going to change. And on this show, Dusty Rhodes, Jimmy Valiant, Roddy Piper, Dory Funk Jr., Jack Briscoe, plenty of guys there that no matter what, whether they be good guys or bad guys, they are going to do things the exact same way, and that's what makes them successful because people believe in who they are, and they've never wavered in who they are. And that is certainly the case with Roddy Piper, who has now been a babyface still for less than a year. At this point in the last year, we're talking about what kind of thorn he is in the side of Jack Briscoe and going after the Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. Right now, he is the number one hero in Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, especially with Ric Flair on the road. And as you heard Gordon Soley's voice at the end of that clip, We see a match from the previous week's World Championship Wrestling where Ric Flair takes on Pat Rose and defeats him. Nothing really of value there other than to remind fans in the area that Ric Flair would be coming back soon. It was then time to hear from the NWA World Tag Team Champions, Don Carnoodle and Sergeant Slaughter. Once again, Carnoodle Slaughter. Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood would not be on the show, but their presence would be felt. Apparently, in the locker room, the presence of Steamboat and Youngblood have been felt again, as Sergeant Slaughter seems to be missing a personal item. Let me tell you something right now, Steamboat and Youngblood. This coat's one thing right here, but we got something else. Sergeant Slaughter can't find his campaign hat. And let me tell you right now, when Sergeant Slaughter wants something back, he wants it back right now. I know he trained me, and he's mad. He's mad I've ever seen him before. You can take the mask off the Lone Ranger, and you can spit in the wind, but you don't mess with Sergeant Slaughter. That's right. Steve on down, blood. As you can see, I'm mad enough to eat my $14 cigar. I got my sunglasses. I got my shirt on. 
but I don't see my hat, my pad campaign cover, and I think you've got it. Somehow this jacket got out of the locker room. And somehow I think the same way my campaign cover got out of that locker room. Now you may spit in the wind. And you may pull a mask off the old Long Ranger, but let me tell you, Steve Youngblood, this hat is nothing. You don't mess around with Sergeant Slaughter. Well, Roman, there we hear from Kernoodle and Slaughter, the NWA World Tag Team Championships. Don Kernoodle still upset over the fact that he tore up his own coat, and Slaughter was upset over the fact that Kernoodle tore up his own coat because he was the one who had paid for it from Barnett's apparel in Atlanta. But now things seem to be elevated. It's one thing to tear up a, a casual coat. It's another thing to steal a Marine's campaign cover. Sergeant Slaughter's hat has gone missing out of the locker room. I wonder who could have done that. Hmm. Have, have you ever seen a league, Mike, that has so many thieves? I mean, Valiant stealing money, somebody stealing Slaughter's hat. A couple weeks ago, somebody stole Steamboat and Company, Steamboat and Youngblood stole Kernoodle's jacket. Everybody's stealing something, you know. They need to get some better combination locks or something in the locker room. Yeah, see, you know, you could see Doug Dillinger work on the door on this show very clearly by that back door there. I don't know what Doug is, is, is doing there, but hopefully his police work was a lot better than some of his security work back there in the back. But bottom line is Kernoodle and Slaughter's hat is missing. We will hear a little bit later on from Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood to see if they may have seen uh, the hat anywhere lying around. After that interview, to try to give Slaughter and Canoodle a little bit of face back, a match from December 4th, 1982 is played of Slaughter and Canoodle dominating Ken Hall and Gary Black. And there's a reason Slaughter and Canoodle were not on the show, but it seems to be that they put that match on there of them dominating just to try to get something back there for them as they continue to week after week complain about the fact that Steamboat and Youngblood somehow keep getting one over on them. And it's time now for our closing set of interviews. And if you were to look at your clock when watching this, you would say, hmm, you sure there's not going to be another match? There's like, Seven and a half, eight minutes of show left. But no, no, you are going to hear nothing but voices. Now, not all of you are going to hear voices uh, unless you have them talking to you in your head. That is because the WWE Network overdub of the Boogie Woogie Man Jimmy Valiant's music (laughs) renders the final portion of the show where Valiant, Roddy Piper, Sweet Brown Sugar and Jerry Briscoe bask in the glory of the one-man gang's money. (laughs) I'm going to break that up since it is five minutes long and it is incredibly difficult to listen to. But first, we hear from Steamboat and Youngblood, who have now turned up the volume on the mind games they're playing with Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle. Well, there you saw the World Tag Team Champions in action fans in a match a little earlier right here on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling. You saw them in action. You saw just how rough, how tough, and how mean they are. As we mentioned earlier, though, a couple of fellows that are really on their trail, Rick Steamboat, Jay Youngblood, they want the World Tag Team Champions. They want them bad, and here they are. 
You know something, ladies and gentlemen, for the past several weeks, Jay Youngblood and myself have been getting up here on TV and coming up with some pretty good things that have been happening on television. We've been coming up and telling everybody, and telling especially you, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Cranoodle, of some kind of conspiracy behind your back. How did we get that coat out of your locker room, Don Cranoodle, and make you rip up your own coat? That's right. We got up here on TV and said, Johnny Weaver is helping us with the sleeper hold. And also, somebody's helping us with the Cobra clutch hold. Somebody maybe in your own backyard. Now, how's that coming about? Now, Jason, they're getting up here, and Sergeant Slaughter's really hot. He's really mad because he's without his hat, and he's blaming us. Have you seen his hat? Ain't under here. I haven't seen it either. Or, I don't know. Like I said before, and I've admitted on TV, there is a conspiracy. We learned the Cobra Clutch. We know how to get out of it and get in it about your hat. Maybe next week. Now, Roman, we're about to get five minutes of sheer madness that, once again, I will cut down uh, out of mercy for the people that are listening uh, to this part of the show. But we cannot gloss over the fact that Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, who have been talking about mind games, and about getting one back over on Slaughter and Canoodle, two men that have caused them so much mental and physical harm over the last several months, they seem to be getting the one-ups, but they now have taken it up one whole other level by stating there is an outright conspiracy going on right now, obviously involving the bad guy's locker room, as Sergeant Slaughter's hat has disappeared, and you heard Steamboat say it flat out. Not only is Johnny Weaver helping us, but there's somebody else helping us because we have gone full-blown Rico on you, buddy. It's a conspiracy. Steamboat, the ultimate babyface, admitting to a conspiracy, admitting that he has people helping him with maneuvers, you know, and we think back a few weeks ago when Jay Youngblood got out of the Cobra hold. Steamboat and Youngblood talking about how they stole Cornoodle's jacket. Now his hat's missing, and Steamboat goes, well, maybe we'll talk about it next week. They are really playing mind games, and somehow, someway, they are getting under the skin of Slaughter and Cornoodle by getting into the locker room or doing some shady shenanigans, so to speak, to get a little inside information on their holds, their training methods, and whatnot. And uh, it's not something, an angle that's done a lot by the baby faces where they're copping to a conspiracy theory going on. A conspiracy is happening on the babyface side. There's a mischievous look on the faces of Youngblood and Steamboat that I will absolutely take a screenshot of and put up on the Mid-Atlantic Pod Twitter. Unbelievable stuff. And Roman, as I mentioned, I will be breaking this up the best I can for people as some of the, if any Audible audio is available, as that's a lot of alliteration to to go right there. Whatever I can, I'm going to play for you as Skip Young, Sweet Brown Sugar, and Gerald Briscoe are joined by Jimmy Valiant and then Roddy Piper alongside Bob Cottle to end the show. And there is no music for the beginning of this, but then, well, it'll kick in, and from there... It will drift in and out for the podcast listener, and for those of you on YouTube, well, here's the end of the show. All right, it's been an action-packed hour, as we say, fans, right here. A couple of fellows that we want to bring in and 
and talk to right here, Sweet Brown Sugar and Jerry Briscoe. Fellas, I tell you, when you get them around like we got them, when you get Dick Slater around, when you get Greg Valentine around, and when Slater and Piper, two guys like that, go together, sure anything can happen. I guarantee you, Mr. Caudill, there's a lot of things going on in this mid-Atlantic area right now, but I want these people to know that we're fixing to get it all together. First of all, I want to name some of the few people that's got my attention. First of all, you got the $100,000 challenge man, Dory Funk Jr. I call him Squiggy. Don't you forget, Dory Funk Jr., we got some unfinished business. Dick Slater, old hoghead is what I call him. He looks like the south end of a northbound mule. He's always, I saw him out here, a man was interfering in the match, throwing the guy in, roughing people up. Well, mister, let me tell you something. There's some people around here that's going to do something to you about when the good time comes. Next of all, you got the one-man gang of Big Ugly Beast. Jimmy Valiant will take care of you, brother. Hey, let's, uh, let's tell me he's minus $5,000 right at the moment, too, yes. the Valiant guy. And I know he's hot as a peanut potter, but ain't nothing you can do about it. If you want the money, come and get it. And the Briscoe brothers are on the warpath, and Jay Youngblood and Steamboat are going to take care of Sergeant Slaughter and Don Canoodle in due time. So you got a lot of action that's going to be coming this way, and I'm glad to be right in the middle of it, and I'm going to be directing traffic in a lot of situations. I uh, see, Sugar. You laid it all out right. Right there and Jerry he's got it all mapped out as to what's going to happen at these guys well I guarantee you uh, Bob uh, the people that are in here right now is, is undoubtedly the best talent in the entire right. world uh, you know I've been fortunate enough to travel around the country I've seen some of these wrestlers before I've been double crossed by some of these wrestlers before and Pillsbury Doughboy you know who I'm talking about Dick Slater the Tampa tubby so i tell you one thing Slater You've double-crossed Orton, you pushed uh, Piper around, you've slapped him in the face, you spit in my face, you've tried to use my head for a football. You're getting some partners. You're getting Greg Valentine, United States champion. You're getting Dory Funk Jr., former world's great NWA champion, and I mean one of the greatest of all times. There's only... Probably one better heavyweight world's champion than Dory Funk Jr., and that's Jack.
think that's what they're going to go do, fans. I tell you, we end in chaos, and that's going to do it. We'll see you next week, and until then, so long for now. <laughs> that's a perfect way to say it. They end in chaos. For those of you with much better hearing than I, maybe you could clearly hear everything. Those with a keen ear could probably pick some of that stuff up. Just sheer insanity to end the show with Jimmy Valiant and Roddy Piper. Just a a circus of a segment, which again, really, <laughs> in hindsight, with hindsight being 2020, didn't hurt a damn thing with business, Roman, but it really kind of took some of the steam away from the fact that, hey, you had a big drama there at the end of Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, this feud that's been going on, the road to Greensboro. They, they've really upped the stakes here. Uh, <laughs> this was, without a doubt, one of the most bizarre episodes <laughs> I think we've ever done. I mean, just the whole format of this show was, for basically almost no reason, they show a flare match. You know, they just, oh, let's throw in a flare match, you know, from Georgia. and then Well, that's because he know, was coming show- back to the area, though. So that actually makes some sense. You figured at one point they would have said something like, hey, Ric Flair will be back in a couple weeks, and let's take a look at Ric Flair. It just seemed like they said, let's hear from Ric Flair, and then they show the match. And just the the whole closing segment was (laughs) – it's entertaining. I mean, uh, you know, we don't mean to piss on it too much or anything. It it is entertaining. So those of you that have the Peacock Network or anything, I mean, it is worth checking out because you'll scratch your head, you'll laugh, you'll – be confused you'll be entertained i mean it's just it's all over the place and i'm gonna offer this out there if anybody out there has the original episode of this please hit me up i'll yeah, trade please. you something what <laughs> i would love to see what actually happened hear everything that happened and you know mike had talked about the stagehand that's something i wondered about too was like when I, originally when i saw that i go is that one of the random people that was in the ring that they just grab her and throw a headset on her. Did she work at the studio? Just all of a sudden some girls being hoisted up in the air and she's got headphones on and I can't do it justice. Stay tuned to the mid Atlantic championship podcast, Twitter feed, because I already have some screenshots for this show as I'm, I'm trying to decide what the, the official picture, what the official artwork for this program will be. Boy, there are some options, and many of them came out of that last segment right there. Uh, I think the everybody. woman being hoisted in the air would kind of epitomize the craziness of this episode. I think that would be that would be my vote. That's uh, yeah, just an absolute <laughs> a, a different show. Any other thoughts here, Roman? As we put a bow on January twenty ninth, nineteen eighty three. No, I just it was amazing at how much did not happen inside the studio it was like half and half you know half the stuff was in studio half of it was you know the dusty promo was in from another area the the flare match was from georgia it was just had kind of a weird flow but it was entertaining and you know again short matches not a whole lot of them uh three on tape if you include jimmy valiant and joe leduc at the beginning of the show on worldwide wrestling, that is not the case, as they actually had five matches. Dizzy Hogan, Sweet Brown Sugar, and Jimmy Valiant defeating Rick Harris, Ken Timms, and Ben Alexander. Jerry Briscoe defeated Frank Monty. Dick Slater and Greg Valentine defeated Mike Davis and King Parsons. So Mike Davis and King Parsons, they didn't get enough beatings on Mid-Atlantic. 
they had to come back out there and, and take a little bit more. Dory Funk Jr. knocked off Vinny Valentino, and the one-man gang defeated Rick Benfield. So that is that, and we shall take it around the circuit. Let's take time for this commercial message about the Mid-Atlantic Wrestling events coming up in your area. And we begin our tour around the area on the same night as the tapings, Wednesday, January 26th, Sumter, South Carolina, the Exhibition Center, top matches on the show, Tommy Gilbert defeated Larry Lane, Mike Rotundo defeated Paul Jones, and the reason that these four men weren't on TV this week? Because they were in the main event, Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle. The next night, Thursday the 27th, Harrisonburg, Virginia at the high school, top matches, Roddy Piper defeated Greg Valentine, Dick Slater and the champ, who was a substitute for Bob Orton Jr., battled to a double disqualification, and Jerry Briscoe, Johnny Weaver, and Tommy Gilbert, subbing for Abdullah the Butcher, defeated Paul Jones, Frank Monty, who was a sub for Sir Oliver Humperdinck, and Bill White, who was a sub for Joe LaDuke. The same night in Waynesville, North Carolina, at the junior high school, Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle faced off against Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood. Mike Rotundo was scheduled to face Larry Red Dog Lane. And Tiny Tom was going to battle Little Tokyo, amongst other matches. On Friday, January 28th, in Charleston, South Carolina, One Man Gang defeated Jimmy Valiant by DQ. Jack Briscoe defeated Dory Funk Jr. And Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle. Also on Friday, in Lynchburg at the City Armory, Greg Valentine defeated the champ, Roddy Piper defeated Dick Slater, and Mike Rotundo defeated Paul Jones. We skip ahead to Sunday, January 30th, Charlotte, the Coliseum, an afternoon show, and a big show. We'll run down the entire lineup. Mike Rotundo won an 18-man battle royal. Dick Slater defeated Jerry Briscoe by DQ. Jimmy Valiant defeated the one-man gang. Roddy Piper and Dusty Rhodes defeated Paul Jones and Larry Red Dog Lane. Dory Funk Jr. defeated Jack Briscoe to win the NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Championship. More on that next show. Also, Greg Valentine defended his U.S. title by defeating the champ, and Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood battled Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle to a double disqualification, another match we'll be talking about in the next upcoming weeks. Also on Sunday, Savannah, Georgia, the Civic Center, Porkchop Cash defeated Ricky Harris by DQ, Abdullah the Butcher, Jack Briscoe, and Mike Rotundo defeated Paul Jones, Larry Lane, and Gene Anderson, and Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle. Two shows on Monday, January 31st, Greenville, South Carolina at the Memorial Auditorium. Jimmy Valiant defeated the one-man gang in a no-DQ match. Jack Briscoe defeated Dick Slater by disqualification. And Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle defeated Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood in a lumberjack match. While in Appomattox, Virginia, Mike Rotundo defeated Private Nelson. Sweet Brown Sugar and Dory Funk Jr. battled to a draw. And Roddy Piper defeated Greg Valentine. On Tuesday, February 1st, in Columbia, South Carolina, 
Jerry Briscoe battled Dory Funk Jr. to a draw. Roddy Piper defeated Dick Slater by disqualification. And Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood defeated Sergeant Slaughter and Don Carnoodle in a boot camp match. Also on the first, in Raleigh at Dorton Arena, Dizzy Hogan defeated the champ, Brian Blair. So Brian Blair, as the champ, goes from coming into the area and battling Greg Valentine for the U.S. title, and he has gone to basically helping Dizzy Hogan along in the ring and putting him over at Dorton Arena. And the bottom line is Blair does not last long here. I believe his last match ends up being on February 7th before he ends up in Georgia. So a short, quick trip for the champ Brian Blair. Also on that show in Raleigh, Sweet Brown Sugar defeated Paul Jones, Jack Briscoe defeated Greg Valentine, and the one-man gang defeated Jimmy Valiant by DQ. That takes us back around to Wednesday, February 2nd, 1983, Charlotte, North Carolina, WPCQ Studios, and here is the WWE Network preview for the next show. February 5th, 1983, Mid-Atlantic Television Champion Mike Rotundo faces Frank Monty in a non-title main event. As I mentioned earlier on, I invite you to follow us across our many forms of social media, Instagram, Facebook, but especially on Twitter, where we are the most active and interactive. Just search at MidAtlanticPod. We would also really appreciate you following us on YouTube, youtube.com slash MidAtlanticPod, and consider supporting the show via Patreon, Search patreon.com slash midatlanticpodcast. I also invite you to support all of the programs and content here on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. We don't condescend, and we are dedicated to preserving and accurately archiving the history of professional wrestling. And I'm proud that this show, produced by me, can be a part of that. For Roman Gomez, I'm Mike Sempervivi. Take us home, Bob DeBartolabin and Uncle Bob Cottle. Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling has been furnished to this station for broadcast at this time by Jim Crockett Promotions in exchange for commercial consideration. Fans, next week on Mid-Atlantic Championship Wrestling, Bob Brazil and the Mighty Igor against Charlie Fulton and Tony Russo, Mr. Wrestling will take on Larry Sharp, Paul Jones and Wahoo McDaniel against Kim Duck and Ricky Ferrara, Superstar and the Russian Stomper against Francisco Flores and Steve Kovac, and Blackjack Mulligan will take on Phil Mercado all next week. <laughs>